Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, Executive Editor at Glossy. And today's guest is Natalie Mackey, the founder and CEO of Winky Lux and the Glow Concept. Hi, Natalie. How are you? Hey, Priya. It's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. So great having you. You know, we're so excited to talk to you because we have a lot to talk about, Natalie. I mean, besides 2020, you know, you guys have been able to really pivot and do a lot of really innovative things from, you know, not keeping your stores open and really leaning into this concept of IRL online, which I want to talk to you about. And then, of course, most recently launching into skincare. So I guess if you were looking back on where you were in 2020, like this moment, January of 2020, what was kind of the outlook or plan? And maybe how is that was that totally disrupted? So that is such a, it's such a fun mental exercise to go back to pre-pandemic life. Um, I think our mental outlook was super arrogant before, before COVID. Uh, we were, we were really focused on our target expansion last year. And, uh, we were just super lucky to launch in Target, which is a great partner, um, pre-pandemic and, that was, I, I always joke this year was like the agony and the ecstasy. Like the, the ecstasy was that we were in a retailer with great positioning and really great marketing support. And it was one of the only retailers that was open and also sold toilet tissue and things like that. So, um, so that was really helpful. Um, and then of course the agony was a lot of our other retail partners, uh, you know, were, were temporarily closed or re, reimagining what their life was going to be like. Um, but at this exact time last year, I think we were almost myopically focused on how to support the new launch in Target, how to make it splashy. We had no idea that soon Target would be like, it would grow like crazy just as a company itself. So so Natalie, will you walk me back a little bit? Because, you know, I remember thinking when you guys went into Target at the time, you know, you guys have done such a great job of, you know, having a digital presence, you know, I think you're about 50% D to C and then you've had really measured partnerships. You know, you were in Sephora for a while, you were at Ulta, but limited SKUs. So when you were like, let's do Target, you know, and let's do it big, what was the rationale for that? Totally. So we, our customer, we knew our customer was in Target and we had tested, um, what I guess what you would call in real life. We had, we had we tested wholesale a few times a few times with things like Sephora Scouted, um, and then we partnered with Ulta. We're still in Ulta, and that partnership is growing um, and is a great one. But we had interviewed and surveyed our customers a lot, and we knew that there was a lot of overlap with Target, and so we knew if we did that. If we launched in a retailer like that, it's really large and it requires a ton of thoughtfulness and a ton of preparation. Um, so it was about a year and a half of preparation before we ever launched there um, to really like make sure that our everything that we stood for as a brand would also be expressed in in Target, which is you know Target is like such an interesting partner because they're, they're such an interesting retailer in general, right? They're not really mass, but they're not luxury either. They're sort of this like accessible design driven company. And so 
we kind of went to them or, or we had been in talks with them for a while. We kind of went to them with this kind of loony idea of doing these giant neon signs and doing this like really splashy moment in store. And we were pretty sure they were going to say no. And it wasn't going to be something that, you know, this partnership wouldn't work and things like that. We just didn't think they were going to go for it. Um, and they did. They went for it. They had like a really forward thinking visual team and they let us do it. And I think we we're the first brand to ever bring like a splashy neon sign into an environment like that. So, um, yeah, so they, it was like a long, long drawn out thing. But we knew when we when we finally chose a retailer to like really expand with that it would need to be someone who would let us do some of those, the things that we were known for, which was like the experiential part of branding. So, you know, that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about because I know obviously you're going into skincare with Target as well. And so obviously the relationship has been going well and we'll talk more about that in a second. But, you know, some of the things other beauty brands have been reticent about, you know, in a mass retailer is that they can't express their own brand identity. And, you know, obviously you can't, beggars can't be choosers when you're in a pandemic and when stores are closed and all of that. But at the same time, you know, what was your experience like in like, you know, you know, in, in comparison to when you've been in a scouted at a Sephora or when you've had your own stores or when you were in Ulta or are in Ulta? Yeah, this was a huge undertaking. So we took the, I think what really benefited us is we have these experience stores. So we have one in New York that's closed right now and we have one in Nashville that's open on a really limited basis. And they're um, super, super visual. They're almost like movie sets. And uh, our customers come in and they come in to take pictures and they come in to like be immersed in the brand. And so when we were describing what we wanted to achieve, we just brought our merchants there. And so like, this is, this is what we want the customer to feel when she walks, when she walks by our display. Um, and, and the way that we achieved that was to really invest in making sure that that display was like ultra flashy and ultra exciting. So we have the 3D lenticular. When you walk by, it moves. We have the neon sign. Um, we have like the kind of like 3D factice that's in front of it. Um, this was like a huge learning experience for us too, because we're so used to controlling our own narrative with our customer. So we, we really were like, it was like letting our little baby go off to college or something. <laughs> we were like, I hope we've trained you well. I hope we, I hope you know what you're doing. Um, because it was kind of scary to, to release the, the brand identity. And, and before we had, we've, always done really limited partnerships to test things. Like even our Ulta partnership is much smaller, although it's, it's growing really quickly. Um, but it's always been like, you know, here are five uh, awesome SKUs that kind of tell their own story. This was really about bringing the customer into the whole Winky Lux world which is hard to do in a third-party space. So, you know, obviously with the pandemic, essential stores became the number one priority. You know, I, we saw a bunch of brands going on Amazon, going to Walmart, you know, you, you know, they were just trying to figure out a way to figure out this distribution piece and offset your, their sales. But at the same time, sometimes in those stores, it can be a crowded place to shop. Beauty may not be the top of mind. What was that like for you, you know, 
investing in the in the associates and telling them how to train and and sell beauty the way that you would in one of your own shops. That was tough. It was really, really tough. Um, one of the uh, people on our product or one of the developers on our product team had uh, worked at Target before and, and worked there for like five years while she was at school. And she um, actually gave us a lot of insight. We spent a lot of time in Target's talking to the the um, teams there. Um, and it, it's more of a challenge, I think, than like a tradition, like a specialty beauty retailer, like Ulta or Sephora, where education is this big, you know, there's a big emphasis on it. I think that, um, you know, in that more open plan, I don't want to call it mass, but just the way that the, it's, it's a noisy environment, right? And the, the teams there are really focused on the guest, getting the guest all the different things she needs, right? So it's not just beauty expertise or, um, you know, it's right next to home goods and things like that. So they're doing a lot, uh, you know, the, the team members. So it was a big challenge to figure out how we were going to increase education. And we figured that the only way to do it was really through our social channels to actually connect with the guests direct or connect with the team members directly, connect with the guests directly, increase our education content, make sure that we invested in um, having some of our, what we call like our winky stands, create a lot of content around the product. Um, and then again, we were really new to the in-store marketing game. So this was all really off the cuff. And I think some of the stuff we did was very innovative and new and crazy and worked. And some of it was kind of nuts and didn't work. Um, but you know, we, our product in general has always had a really unusual aesthetic point of view. So it's very floral and it's really bright. Um, so that was helpful. It helped to kind of cut through some of the noise when you're walking through any beauty store. I think it's really overwhelming, but particularly in a place where you're getting lots of different things. So we knew we kind of needed to talk to the customer right away. So when we were designing the, um, um, (laughs) when we were designing the merchandise assortment, we wanted to make sure too, that these were products that had a very simple message and didn't require, um, like multi-step explanations. And that's part of our skincare strategy too, has been making sure that these are products that are easy to understand. They really work and they have clinical grade ingredients, but they also are not so complicated that you're going to need an expert, you know, in a black smock to tell you all about all the things that it can do. So will you go back a second, Natalie? Because, you know, I love what you said, you know, with the in-store marketing piece, like you were new to it. There were things that worked. There were things that didn't. Obviously, you have another huge launch. You're launching skincare. You just launched skincare, 10 new products, kind of off of the dream jelly, that hero product that you guys have. Um, So what did work, you know, that you're playing forward for this launch in Target and maybe what did it? So our what did work were brightly colored products, um, products that were simple products that the customer understood. What didn't work were um, products that were too complicated. Uh, Making We made some of our products really hard to find for some reason. Don't ask me why, (laughs) but we put some hero products like towards the bottom, which was nuts. Um, So when we were, you know, when we, in hindsight, we walked in and we were like, wow, we probably should have put that, you know, that tinted moisturizer, which is a huge seller for us. Like we should have 
put that at a more of like eye level. Um, but we were again, super new to this and figuring it out. And Target did help us a lot. They really helped us like with some of the strategy, but there were many things that we, um, you know, that we're improving upon. And, and that was the other one, you know, it selling complexion in a environment where you can't try, um, was something that we kind of took for granted that so many of our direct customers have tried it or have had samples. And so we really invested in a lot of sampling programs this year. And that happened like, you know, months after the launch, we were like, we really need to make sure that all of the beauty concierges are sampled out and that we invest more in making sure the customer knows that she can get a small amount of this product. She doesn't have to buy the product before to make sure it's good. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> sorry. So, like rambling. I'm like rambling today. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, this is what it's about. This is what podcasts are about. You know, you're, you're talking, it's conversational. So my question for you is that I know that lips, lip products, you know, were, were, are 40% of your business. They still like maintain through the pandemic, 40% of your business, which is, you know, shocking to me because you hear people not wearing makeup, not wearing, you know, lip products, especially because of masks and and the pandemic. But I'm wondering, you know, was part of that, you know, was the pandemic part of the strategy? I know that skincare has been on your radar for a while with the Dream Gel A, but, you know, what you were saying, you know, trying foundation in a Target may be much more difficult to do than in an Ulta. So was it the right move for your your key partner? So, I have another long-winded answer to that. <laughs> um, so lip, yeah, has I think because lip is such a big signature part of the brand, it's continued to be a big signature part of the brand. Although as a business, it certainly hasn't grown as fast as the other parts of the company this year. Um, and as far as uh, like foundations and complexions are concerned, what we've seen really work in this environment is like stuff that has really good shade matching technology. So things that are, you hear a lot about, we want to have these really, really wide ranges of shades and we have really wide ranges of shades, but the stuff that keeps selling seems to be the stuff that like can match three and four shades each. So like something you and I could both wear something that like, you know, five different girls could wear something that's like light coverage. So it's easy to match. Um, that has been what has worked in that environment because I think people are scared to buy some of those fuller coverage products, which, I mean, Peeper Perfect is one of our best-selling products of all time. It's our hyaluronic acid under-eye concealer, but it's a full-coverage concealer, so you really you kind of want to match it when you're wearing it. And that we've seen as a tougher sell in, you know, it's like number four on our, our direct business, but I think like number 10 at Target or something like that. So clearly just being bought by people who are replenishing or someone who's really captive and willing to take a risk. Whereas like our tinted moisturizer is super, super um, buildable coverage. So lots of different people can wear, you can wear like three different shades and you and I could wear the same shade. And now a word from our sponsor. You mentioned something a second ago what, that I want to ask you about is this idea of replenishment. And, you know, originally, I think in the old days of beauty, maybe not even that old considering, you know, we've been in 2020, day 380 at this point. I don't know if we're really in 2021, but I'm wondering, you know, people used to say you had to go to stores to discover. 
and try. And then online really was the replenishment tool. Brands like Winking Lux really disrupted that idea because you were discovering the brand online, you were learning about the brand online, and then maybe trying it in an Ulta or a Target or a Sephora, and then maybe buying it in various places. Someone once told me recently that they thought like online is predominantly the discovery tool now and stores are the replenishment model. And that's only being reinforced with what's happening in beauty stores right now with no samplers and testers and all of that. What's your take on that? Being that you've been in so many different environments. Totally. Um, so my take is that it, beauty still is such a heavy in-person experience. I think it's, I think it's a really joyful experience to buy beauty products. So I think that the friction that exists in a lot of other channels like fashion and, um, home goods and things like that, it, it doesn't exist as much in beauty. So I think in person will still continue to dominate, but I do believe nobody buys anything or that I shouldn't say that it's not that they don't buy anything, but so many more people or so many people now, um, research online before they purchase. So we even see customers standing in front of the display, looking it up online. So I, I, it's kind of a little bit of both where I do think there's, um, I think customer behavior has intrinsically changed. I don't know if we're ever going to see it go to like 50, 50, the way, um, I actually don't know what fashion is now, probably during the pandemic, it was probably 50, 50. Um, you know, I don't know if we're going to get to that point just because I don't know if it's solving that friction enough, but I do think absolutely people are looking for review. reviews are another huge, huge thing. Like nobody trusts advertising anymore. <laughs> advertising is like a great way to get the customer to understand your brand exists or to build some sort of, um, like corporate credibility, but everyone is looking for, um, for like social proof of concept. So I think people are oftentimes looking at those reviews when they're standing in the makeup aisle, figuring it out, or they're like getting inspired by something, going to Ulta, getting it, and then possibly discovering something else. Will you tell me a little bit about what you, what your marketing and advertising strategy looks like today? Because I know, you know, one of the things that I really loved about Winkling Looks and learning about your brand and talking to you in the past is just this idea of IRL online, which, you know, I would love for you to explain for our listeners and then also explain, you know, how that is actually engaging customers on the regular. Because I think people, the, the social media game is so convoluted today and it's like paid marketing, unpaid marketing, influencers. Now we have TikTok, Reels, you know, Clubhouse, like what's real, what's imagined. I want to know, you know, how you're approaching all of this. Totally. We've actually been walking through those budgets this morning, so I'm sort of fresh off of it. Um, so we, we've been investing a lot in, um, so we, we love our paid social channels. They're, they're sort of the workhorse of the business and our organic social channels. And I think, I think a lot of, um, D to C focus or like what you would call digitally native brands are in a similar boat. Um, however, what we are seeing is a lot of opportunity in kind of these top of funnel channels like TV. So we started running TV, uh, back in October and that's been an incredible way to, um, just bring like a new audience into the the funnel or into the fold. And uh, what we're seeing there too is that 
as a younger brand, you know, we are up against the challenge. We're only five years old. So we're up against this challenge. We're, we're kind of, our, our competitors are like 50, 60 years old. So they have a lot of real trust. Um, and I think with the commercials, what you're getting is it kind of gives us this, what I would call it corporate credibility, kind of this idea that like we're a real company and we have real products and we're really thoughtful about it. Um, from a, like a, IRL online standpoint, the engagement is just key. I think just talking to that customer as much as possible um, and getting her to be part of the development process is a huge part of what has made our our customers so loyal. Um, I mean, we survey our customers every quarter. We get like as many as like five or six thousand responses, and sometimes our our surveys are really really long. And, uh, that, that customer feels like she's part of the process because she is, she's like a huge part of it. Um, and then the other thing I think is kind of what is the experience like when she receives the package? Does she open it up? Does she feel like she knows us? Does she feel like she, um, is having like this beautiful moment the whole way through because the old school way of buying beauty was mostly really in department stores. I think luxury beauty was really, truly a department store game. And it was really kind of fun. It, it lacked a lot. There's a reason it's been kind of dying out, but it, at the moment it was like this beautiful experience. It smelled really good. It was like uh, a treat that you gave yourself. You walked through, somebody helped you. Um, how you replicate that on like online, I think is partly like what the customer experience is when she receives the package, but also kind of how does the box look when she opens it up? Does it feel like a piece of jewelry when she opens the box up and pulls the product out? Does it feel like something really precious and special that she's given herself? When she smells the product, does it smell good? Does it smell like a, like a natural fragrance as opposed, or a natural um, flavor? We use a lot of like flavor grade fragrances or, or they're not fragrances, they're flavors actually. Um, in some of our, especially our lip products, um, does it make her feel like this is something really, uh, like it's a piece of self-care. So I think that's part of, um, it's part of bringing that experience to the, to the customer at home. Um, and then the other one is just talking to her a lot. Like our customers are, they want to engage and have a conversation with us. Uh, And we feel like we know them. We have like really loyal customers that we feel like have, are like part of the team. So I think that's, those are the two things that always pop out when people are like, well, what do you prioritize in customer experience? When you think about who your customer is now, I mean, imagine she's changed quite a bit. He or she has changed quite a bit now that you're in Target because you have so much more awareness and you are on national television and anybody, you know, my mom in Laredo, Texas could go get you, you know? So I'm wondering, you know, how he or she has changed, how how wide that demographic is now and and that psychographic is. Totally. We have always had a really diverse um, customer base. So it's always been, it's not, it really was very millennial though for a long time, especially in the beginning. We had a very millennial customer base, but she was kind of diverse from a racial standpoint and diverse from a background standpoint, diverse from where she was in the country. A lot of times digitally native brands are really focused in New York and California. Um, 
However, when we launched in Target, what we saw was like this big halo that went from 16 to 65. So all of a sudden we had like this big diversity of ages too, which is has been really interesting. In fact, I think one of the things that we've seen a lot more of is sort of the like Gen X or Xenial mom. So she's in Target buying stuff and then she pops over to get something special for herself. Um, and that has been a, a really fun customer to tap into because she's so vocal and she talks to us a lot. Um, almost more so than like our Gen Z customer who we love, but maybe kind of tries everything and does a little bit of all the things, um, and isn't as loyal as like that, that girl, when she finds that one concealer or that one brow product that she loves and just is like, every one of my friends is getting one of these for Christmas. So we love her. You mentioned uh, a while ago to me that, you know, skincare was something that they had been asking for for a long time. And I know that your product cycle is like, you know, 40 days usually with a lip balm or an eyeshadow or, you know, so many of your other products. But this one was something that was gestating for quite a while. Will you talk a little bit about like, you know, what the customer was maybe asking for and what you really had to deliver on that was maybe different than what you expected? Totally. Um, skincare was a whole new world for us and it had been requested so much. We had this one product that we'd worked really hard on that was a priming moisturizer, the Dream Jelly, and that had become one of our most repeat purchase products. So we knew that we wanted to expand on it, but as we started to scratch the surface, we had a big, big um, mountain to scale in the sense that we needed the product to be really, really beautiful because everything in our assortment has to go through a purpose filter. And one of those purpose filters are, is, does it create joy? So does it create joy when it's sitting on your shelf? Is it beautiful enough? Does it feel like something really special? Um, so it had to be really pretty. It had to be under $30. It had to be a clean ingredient profile. It had to, um, have no like hormonal disruptors. At the time, I was actually trying to get pregnant while we were beginning this like a year and a half ago. And so, you know, I, I was dealing with all this hormone stuff and this fertility stuff. And I was really thinking a lot about hormone disruptors. So it was like top of mind. And then I am pregnant now. So yay. It's all because of the skincare. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, it was... Um, so it had to be beautiful, it had to be clean, it had to be under $30, um, and it had to be really easy to understand and use. So it had you know great ingredients, clinical great ingredients, but something that wasn't too complicated. We do have customers that are like the skin intellectuals who will cocktail their own stuff and who will do, um, you know, who research every ingredient and who are really, really into it. But the vast majority of our customers want, you know, anywhere from a two to five step skincare routine. They're not looking for the 25 step skincare routine. They want really good results, really nice, like kind of one size fits all skincare. Um, and so that was the other challenge. Like it had to be gentle. I have crazy sensitive skin. So for me, if I even smell like a bat, like a fragrance that's too harsh or, um, I can't use like witch hazel, I can't use a lot of, I'll get like a rash all the way down my chest. Um, so for me, it was really important that it also be like hella gentle. Um, 
so that was a big, big thing. And we ended up hiring uh, a really senior product developer um, who came from It Cosmetics, who was extraordinary. And, uh, and we kind of got to work on finding, uh, on like designing what we thought this collection could be, and then finding labs that could hit all of those points, which was kind of fun to talk to people about. They were like, what? So, so that's, um, hopefully that answers your question. I've been rambling so long. I barely remember it. No, 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 no. So Natalie, you know, I think it's so interesting, you know, you're, you're taking the same approach to skincare, which is pretty, is much more results driven, much more clinical as you are to makeup. You know, it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be beautiful. It's supposed to pop on your shelf. You know, I know that they're, your flower bomb lipstick has like an actual chrysanthemum in the lipstick or the lip balm. And, you know, I know the cleansers and the moisturizer have these like joyful petals in them. So it's just like, it seems like it's a much young, maybe younger, maybe, you know, more relaxed way of approaching skincare. And is that something that, you know, was intentional from like a social perspective because, you know, skincare has historically been very difficult to capture on social and for it to resonate now. I mean, TikTok has now become that channel for skincare, but you know, on Instagram, on YouTube, it's very difficult to say like, oh yeah, I use these 12 steps and that's why I look so beautiful because you're wearing 12 steps, like 12 layers of makeup. Tell me about that. And with you mentioned TikTok, we love TikTok and we're doing so much more on TikTok, but there is so much like nonsense information out there. <laughs> you get like, people are like, I'm going to put this raw egg on my face. It's going to work. It's amazing. And you're just like, don't do that. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, we, we did, we wanted in order for skincare to make sense inside of our brand, it had to be really pretty and joyful. And, I, I joke, but it's, I, it's, we take it seriously. Like we're not curing cancer. We're trying to create something that's really beautiful and fun and works and is like a, a, a wonderful self-care part of your day. And I think if you don't have, if you can't get the customer to pay attention to it, you're never going to sell it and they're never going to try it. So having some of those things, like we have the glycerin petals that are suspended inside the the um, facial wash. We have glycerin petals that are suspended inside one of the serums. Um, Those are our kind of moments that bring like an art to it, like a visual art to it. Um, And they're not necessarily, the glycerin actually is a great skincare ingredient, but they really exist to make it more beautiful. Like the the product inside, you know, with its peptides and its um, uh, hyaluronic acid and things like that, that's the stuff that's really going to work. But I think before you get the customer to actually use it, you have to get them to pay attention to it. So, um, so yes, everything had to be pretty enough that it would make you stop scrolling on Instagram. (laughs) So Natalie, something that maybe maybe our listeners have been paying attention to, but one thing that I feel like has been floated throughout this conversation, you're talking about, you know, your competitors, that they're, you know, 50, 60-year-old brands, you know, you have to get the attention of the customer. You're on national TV now, you know. I mean, you're right there with competing with the Estee Lauders and the L'Oreal's of the world. And I'm wondering, like, you know, what's the goal here? Like, what is, what do you want Winky Lux to be? Like, what kind of brand do you want it to be? Is the ultimate goal to sell? Is it to be acquired? Is it to IPO? Like, I'm, because we're seeing so much of that now. And it really seems like D2C brands, the ones that have done it well, you know, the world is their oyster. 
we're, we're super happy where we are right now, or we're, we're super happy with the way that we're growing right now. We, um, we sort of pivoted a year and a half ago and said, we think that the D to C we're venture capital backed. Um, and so we've been able to grow, you know, really fast, but about a year and a half ago, we said, I think that brands take time to build. And so we kind of, um, we strategic where we, we rebuilt out our strategy to make sure that we were profitable. And so we're profitable now. Um, so we don't, ha- we're in this great place where we don't have to fundraise anymore. Um, if we don't want to, and it, what's been really nice about that over the past year is for a lot of D to C founders, myself included, it's, it can be as much as 30% of your job is out there, like in the market, fundraising, talking to investors, potential acquirers, things like that. For the last year, we've been able to really just focus on our customers. And that has been amazing. I'm sort of like, uh, I'm like loath to go into the next phase of this if we if we do end up deciding to raise again or to expand faster. Um, but for right now, I think what we're going to do is continue to kind of perfect this relationship with her, perfect our supply chain, which is really special. We have our own supply chain technology, um, perfect kind of how she feels about the brand. We really believe this is kind of a 360 brand. We're not an influencer brand. We're not built off the back of just one product. We have this really robust um, product assortment. And I think it's going to take time to build trust with her so that she is willing to come to us for, you know, these like more clinical grade ingredients, but um, these more like intimate relationships, right? Like skincare to me is a more intimate relationship. So as we build that out, we'll kind of see what happens with the company. But I think right now we're super focused on that and making sure that she, um, that she knows that we're a 360 brand. She How? or he, I should say she or he, we, we have male customers too. We actually have lots of male customers. <laughs> Will you describe to me just as for a second, you know, you said a second ago that, you know, she knows you, the customer knows you and, you know, the customer relationship is ultimately the most important thing right now. You know, we're learning, right? Like tons of brands have tons of brand awareness, but if the community isn't there or if it's not sticky, you know, People want the repeat. Investors want the repeat. You want the repeat, right? So I guess how much of your time nowadays is really improving that part of it? You know, whether it's, you know, focusing on the SKUs that really drive the business or focusing on the experience that drives the business. I mean, I'm just wondering, you know, in the long run, if this brand is 50 or 60 years old one day, that's what you're going to ultimately be focused on, right? Totally. A lot of our time, a lot of my time has been spent focused on, um, you know, not only how do we make sure that our customer who's come to us for trend color also knows that we have these like great solution-based products like brow, mascara, um, tinted sunscreen and moisturizer, uh, concealer, skincare. Um, so a lot of our time has been spent building that with her, like letting her know that we have it, sampling it with her, building her trust. Um, and yeah, I think in some ways branding, and this is just, this is not based on any facts. It's just my, my very humble opinion. I feel like in a lot of ways, branding is like time. It's just time to build trust. 
And I think the reason some of those companies that have been around, I mean, we talk about some of the hot shot, you know, cool up and coming um, beauty brands. And that's amazing. Like they're, they're some of the coolest people I know. Um, however, you know, they're tiny compared to like the big guys. And I think the reason the big guys are so big is they have, they have had a chance to really, um, to build that customer trust. And we have a chance now as, as her needs have been shifting over the past 10 years, we have a chance now to take some of that market share, which is really exciting. Like we have a chance to kind of be the next, solution for that. Um, because, you know, entry level skincare that worked was kind of dominated by, you know, there's a couple of companies that like instantly come to mind, like Clinique, right? Like that was the first skincare. That was like our teenage (laughs) Neutrogena and, you know, we're the same age basically, Natalie. And that was our, that was your go-to, right? Yes. Neutrogena in the very beginning. And then when you felt like a little fancier or you had a birthday or something like that, you went to Clinique and, um, and it was great. It was like workhorse products, like products that work, that are, that are easy to understand. Um, but I think, there's room to take some of that market. And and that's kind of what we're seeing now. You know, like we're seeing a younger customer who's willing to experiment more and who's looking for some of that, um, some of that simplicity. Uh, and then there's just the market itself has gotten bigger too. So I think there's just a ton of opportunity. We're very excited. I mean, I'm, I'm ready for color to come back a little bit because I'm ready to be out of a pandemic. Um, but in the meantime, I'm happy that people are like taking such good care of their skin and it's, it's a fun time in the industry. So Natalie, I have one last question for you. It's actually a two-part question, which we're going to do here today, which I'm sure I've been doing all throughout this conversation. But, you know, I guess I'm wondering, you know, I know you've been doubling sales probably since like 2018, if I'm correct, if I'm correct on that number. How big are you right now? Or how much have you grown in the pandemic? We, we've grown a lot this year. It's been a great year. Um, we're, we don't release the, the whole numbers, but we're available in north of 3,000 locations in the U.S. and in Sephora Europe. Um, and, you know, we have hundreds of thousands of direct customers. And so we're we're just really excited to keep the gas or keep our foot on the gas. I can't speak today. Sorry, Priya. <laughs> I'm like, we're, we're excited to throw gasoline on the fire. That's like a terrible analogy. Um, we're excited to keep our foot on the gas uh, and keep growing. So... And last, last question for you, Natalie. I mean, when you think about, you know, the headwinds of color uh, cosmetics, what are you expecting? Like, you know, are you concerned? I mean, so many brands are kind of having a difficult time and trying to find their footing. I'm wondering what your take is. Uh, My take for color is that it will come back with a vengeance. I think it's going to be six to 18 months, depending on what happens with vaccine. But I, I, women have been wearing color cosmetics for 2000 years. We're not giving it up. It's not, it's not going away forever. We, it might change a little bit. Like we might have skincare as a more of a combination with color. I think people are caring more about their skin than they ever have. Um, but I just foresee, you know, when this is finally over, knock on wood, when this is fine, well, we're finally out, like ready to go back out again and we can go have a cocktail. I think people are going to want to go back to color. I also think that there's like a natural buying cycle. There was a huge moment for color when, um, when 
Instagram kind of first came on the scene and everybody needed everything. And you bought all the palettes and all the powders and all the brushes. And now I think people have a lot of that. Um, but it's starting to kind of dwindle down and some of it is kind of reaching its, its natural usage end. Um, and so it always has had like a pendulum, but I, I am betting that, uh, towards the end of this, when people are ready to get back out, it's like, watch out. Color will be huge again. Thank you so much, Natalie. It was so great having you. (laughs) It was so great to see you. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Tune in next week for another episode. And of course, that means if you haven't subscribed, please hit that button.